Our focus text today comes from the Gospel of John, beginning with chapter 7. I invite you to follow along on your screen as I read. Then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go on your way, and from now on, do not sin again. In the focus text we read today, you know who the bad guys are, right? <laughs> yep, the scribes and the Pharisees. They're always the bad guys. And if it wasn't clear from the story that they were bad, well, then it's definitely clear from the pictures people have painted, drawn, and crafted of them over the years. Here, just look. They are obviously bad people. Look at their shifty eyes. You know someone is evil if they have shifty eyes. Look at that scowl, the resentment in that face. Even pictures for children get it right. The anger and self-righteousness, ugh, so gross. Uh, look and see these people who are at home in the shadows, who lurk in the darkness. It's pretty obvious that this is the face of evil, according to the biblical story. <laughs> these are people that you really don't want to associate with. But thankfully, thankfully, because they are just so bad, they're easy to recognize with their shifty eyes, scowls, and dark presence. I do have one more picture for you to see. It's quite fascinating. It took some searching, but I actually found a modern picture of these scribes and Pharisees. It's not a group picture, it's just one person, but I want you to compare the similarities of this modern picture to the ones of the past. Look closely. Yikes! <laughs> I mean, what do you think about this character? He doesn't exactly have shifty eyes or a scowl. I don't think he radiates a dark presence. In fact, well, I think he looks, dare I say, hmm, kinda handsome. But don't be fooled by appearances. This is still a picture of the scribes and Pharisees. Like the, like the scribes and Pharisees, this person is intrigued by how we come to know, understand, and experience God. He is a student, a follower of the biblical story. Like the scribes and Pharisees, this person has seen how religious traditions and spiritual practices can benefit individuals and communities. Like the scribes and Pharisees, this person has come to learn and embody the expectations of his culture and his religion. He has been taught about right and wrong, good and evil, and, and is quite confident that his ideas are right and that God would agree. 
Like the scribes and like the Pharisees, this person eventually came to see this Jesus for who he was. Like the scribes and Pharisees, he looked out into his community, his life, and the world and saw people who did not think as he thought and did not do as he did. And like the scribes and Pharisees, it was so easy for this person to look down on those people for being ignorant, for being out of touch, for being so very wrong. And finally, like the scribes and Pharisees, this person was shocked one day to find Jesus embracing the very people who he knew were so wrong, inappropriate and bad. Like the scribes and Pharisees, self-righteous indignation filled him. And in those moments of his life, he found himself far away from God. Really, this picture could be any one of us. Over the centuries, this group of people, the scribes and Pharisees, have been vilified to look like these low-life, bottom-dwelling religious zealots, when in reality, these individuals look very much like me and you, and anyone whose expectations have been unmet, anyone whose worldview has been turned upside down and challenged by someone else, and anyone who has been appalled by another's actions or way of thinking. When someone challenges our worldview, our perception of right and wrong, like the scribes and Pharisees, we don't stand by. We say something, whether that's direct, directly or indirectly. We do something. We make it right. But here is the question for us today. What if it's Jesus who offends our sensibilities? <laughs> I mean, what do we do then? So. Our ministry at Bethlehem, everything that we do, our vision, our mission, the worship services, the website, the newsletters, the forums, everything that is done in so many other congregations can be boiled down into a few words. And I know that can be dangerous because oversimplifying is never good, but I'm going to take a, a shot at it. As a community of faith, at our core, we are trying to come to terms with God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy. Thirteen words. Yeah, it sounds simple, maybe too simple, but trust me, it's not. I mean, coming to terms with making sense of understanding and embracing God's radical sense of grace, mercy, and love, well, that can do nothing but change and challenge the way that we see ourselves, others, in the world. So, what do you do with something that breaks? Seriously, I want you to think about that for a second. What do you do with things that are broken? More often than not, we throw out the broken things, right? I mean, we are in a place right now as a culture where items are manufactured to be disposed of. Our landfills are full of discarded, broken things. And yes, I do realize that not every broken thing is discarded. Some things are fixed. However, I will say this, regardless of whether the broken uh, thing is thrown out or fixed, we do not do broken well. Broken is bad, broken is wrong, broken is dysfunctional, and it really is not tolerated within our space. <laughs> not quite convinced? Not sure what I'm saying? Well, I see the same mentality applied to people. 
In our culture, people who are broken physically, mentally, financially, spiritually, or in some other way, they are often made to feel less. The broken among us feel shame, isolation, loss, and grief. Have you had a conversation with someone who is no longer able to live independently? Have you tried to convince an older parent or family member that it may no longer be safe for them or for others if they continue to drive? For so many, they see this as an insult to their dignity. I'm not broken, they say, while at the same time feeling shame because they know that they can't do what they used to do. Think about broken relationships. I know there are outliers to this, but for the most part, when a relationship ends, it ends. And the person who was at one point a blessing to you is thrown out of your life just like another broken thing. There is a reason the self-help industry as a whole brings in $10.5 billion each year. These books, seminars, podcasts, coaches, and programs all promise to fix what we perceive is broken in us. Which is good, because broken is bad. We don't tolerate broken. We never have. And so the scribes and Pharisees bring a broken woman to Jesus. Charged with adultery, she, is, she has broken the law in Deuteronomy 22. Her community and family relationships are broken. And now the scribes and Pharisees want to get rid of this broken thing according to the law of Moses. Jesus responds to all this. He says, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, let anyone who is not broken condemn her. We are all broken on some level. And while we can always work on self-improvement, the answer to our brokenness is not going to be found in the self-help industry, because some things can't be fixed. Nor is the answer to throw out the broken among us. During Lent, we follow Jesus to the cross, and in doing so, uncover the brokenness in our lives and in the world. We can't pretend that, this, that it's not there. But embracing our brokenness, something happens. We develop greater compassion, empathy, and tolerance for others. And we come to accept our limitations and slowly, just slowly begin to come to terms with God's love, grace, and mercy. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're not bad people. They are religious leaders who are trying to do right by their community and follow the law that God has given to them. Where they come up short is where we all come up short, believing that broken is bad and that brokenness should be fixed or removed altogether from our lives. In doing this, they miss seeing the extent and the depth of God's love for all people and for the entire creation. How many people do you write off because you think that they are broken because of their political beliefs, religious beliefs, their views on, on child raising, what they say, what they do? I mean, how much time and energy is spent focusing on your shortcomings, your brokenness? How much stress and anxiety does that create within your life? In this season of Lent, may you come to terms with God's love, grace, and mercy so that you may see yourself and others how God sees that there is beauty in your brokenness. 
because it's in the brokenness that God meets us and tells us that we are loved. This is the good news that we hear today. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. After hearing the message today and our focus text, here are a couple of reflection questions so that you can take this story of our faith and apply it more directly to your life. So question number one, in what ways are you broken? Is it hard to embrace or acknowledge your brokenness? And question number two, do you have a hard time coming to terms with God's love, grace, and mercy? How do you feel about God's love, grace, and mercy being given to others you don't like? Mm -hmm.